Hello, Roman. Hello. Pleasure to have you on. Thanks for inviting me. Now, you are a computer security expert with a number of publications and a number of books. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the field you're currently researching? So my PhD was in uh, behavioral biometrics. I learned how to recognize people based on their interactions with computers. And at some point, I realized I can apply the same technique to recognizing not people. So software, bots, and uh, that intersection of security and artificial intelligence is uh, what I've pretty much been doing since. Very, very interesting area. Now, can you give us an ordinary, mundane example of biometric recognition? Sure. So everyone knows about fingerprints. We collect your fingerprint, we can match it to a database, figure out who did whatever crime. Face recognition is another great example. We have computers, uh, maybe on Facebook, automatically tagging pictures of you, suggesting friends to tag. All those uh, physical biometrics, uh, very accurate, very time-consuming to collect and recognize. We also can look at uh, non-obtrusive biometrics, looking at how you type on a computer using a mouse. takes no effort on your part, but uh, we can get pretty good accuracy from that as well. So in the near future, we'll be able to tell if a computer has been compromised based on the nature of the keystrokes. Well, we can tell if somebody's using your account, so using the same username, but it's a different person. So maybe you stepped off to use the restroom or something, and somebody jumped in and started copying your files. So it started with pretty straightforward computer security, you know, passwords, biometrics, and slowly moved towards more science fiction topics until it's security of superintelligence systems and things like that. That's the latest book, Artificial Superintelligence. Hmm. Now, what applications would that have to computer security? So, right now, we don't have any superintelligence systems, uh, but a lot of people think we might soon. So, how do we control such systems? How do we make sure they are safe and beneficial for us? We already have computers controlling large parts of our life, you know, stock market, satellites, nuclear power plants, military applications. How do we make sure we're still, you know, making the final decision as to how to run those things? Giving them a certain amount of freedom to decide, but not too much. So we hope that their space of decisions is similar to ours. They don't make a decision which no human would ever even consider. Kind of like, do you have common sense? So there are a lot of situations where you can come up with a solution which is really out of the box. And while it satisfies the words of a request, it's not in the spirit of the request. And that could be a problem. So a simple solution, if you ask for something like, I want there to be no people suffering from cancer. And a simple solution is to kill everyone who has cancer. It works just as well.
Yes, computers are only as intelligent as the person programming them. Sometimes, Sometimes less. less. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say, what are the applications of quasi-superintelligent systems, as clunky as that term would be? Things that are pretty bright right now that are on the cusp of being genuine AGI or AI. So we're starting to see a lot of systems outperform humans in different domains. Obviously, all sorts of pattern recognition tasks, uh, also things like driving. So driving cars are much safer from what we can see so far, but they have to make same ethical decisions uh, as human drivers make. So that's probably one of the early applications. How do you make sure the system knows, you know, who to kill first, kind of, and also how do you protect it from hackers, from hijacking, from things like that. Right, and that will be a boom industry, undoubtedly. All of the new types of crime that will emerge from these interconnected systems. Absolutely. Uh, future of crime, a lot of interesting possibilities. I mean, if a system is independent and... Uh, commits crimes, who do you charge, how do you punish it? Uh, a lot of uh, things the law is not really ready to deal with. There is an especially f a couple fascinating titles here. One is The Wisdom of Artificial Crowds. Right, so that's actually pretty down-to-earth uh, research on optimization. So there is this idea in psychology that Groups of people are smarter than individuals or experts. Uh, you can think of games like, who wants to be a millionaire? Then you ask the audience. And stupid people cancel out, and you get the good answer. So the algorithm I proposed was to use something like a population of uh, solutions in a genetic algorithm to simulate that. And it seems to be giving pretty good results, similar to what we see with human swarms. Human swarms and I mean, it sort of operates like our own brain and sort of like evolution in general, and that's the basis of it. Right, so you have a lot of small components. Each one is not very smart, but a large group of them have good emergent properties. Yeah. Much like Galton's ox, the ox that was hung up in the market, and everyone took a guess at it, and of course, some people were far off the mark in one direction or the other, but ultimately the average of the guesses turned out to be just about right. Right, exactly that. So you need to find a good way to combine guesses, and as long as you can do that for a specific problem, you can get very good results, especially uh, in terms of predictive markets, in terms of things where people might have some knowledge, even if it's distributed in the population. And of course there's some fairly technical applications for things like control theory and industry, but there are also possible applications in financial markets Absolutely. and geopolitical forecasting. Essentially, that's what stock market is. We have uh, you know, wisdom of uh, investors deciding which companies are likely to succeed, predicting that. I might quibble with you on the word wisdom, unless it's used in a very loose sense. Well, if you feel there is uh, some inadequacy in a market, futures market, tell me. I would love to invest. 
The future, oh, futures market is spectacular. That is a, that is an excellent example of how emergent properties create a more equitable market for everyone. Stocks, I, I'm not so sure about. To date, I was not able to beat the stock market personally, so I'm, I'm still respecting it despite what I might think about individual investors. <laughs> That's it, yes. That is the right way to phrase it. And there are also, there are many delightful titles here. There's also leak-proofing the singularity. Yes, so that's essentially building a prison for artificial intelligence system. You create one, you don't know if it's safe or not, you want to test it before you release it, give it access to internet. What would be the container to contain it? How would you study it? We already have similar systems for studying computer viruses, uh, isolated systems. Hopefully it would not spread out of that uh, local network. So can we develop something like that for more intelligent systems, system capable of social engineering attacks? And simulation could be sped up or slowed down, so you could get a pretty good idea of the risk. It you can certainly control the speed, but you also want to control data coming in and, more importantly, everything coming out. You don't want it to have open channel to any programmer or anyone else in the building. <laughs> uh, I suppose the ultimate goals of your research, then, are to protect these systems, and to protect us from them. I'm not so worried about protecting the systems. At the end, they still just software. I'm more concerned about protecting all of us from this random optimization process. Well, I suppose uh, keeping them safe from hackers or someone with malicious intentions. Right, so again, that indirectly protects us. So you want to make sure the system's integrity is not compromised, yes. Actually, I have talked with a couple people about some basic artificial intelligence algorithms, but this sounds like a good opportunity to go into a little more depth in terms of your opinions of fuzzy logic, fuzzy set theory, etc. Those are very useful subdomains of AI research. Uh, it seems like right now the best results we're getting from... Uh, Deep neural networks with lots of hardware support, essentially brute forcing a lot of problems, throwing terabytes of data to train them, and that seems to be very similar to what we see in human children. So that's probably more promising right now than fuzzy logic. Fair enough. And deep learning, so deep learning in a sense is modeled after the way human children acquire knowledge of the external world. Right, so it's a simulation of human brain at a certain level of precision. The Turing test is known to a lot of people outside of artificial intelligence, and you also wrote a paper about that. And I've, I've heard a number of conflicting opinions about its usefulness, and I imagine you have some insights into it. So it's easy to criticize. You can always say, you know, it just measures how human you are, it's not universal, but at the same time, it is a pretty good way to show that something is at least as good as a human. So I like it. I don't have any personal bias against it. If something passed it, I would be respectful of that system and systems designer. Um, obviously, we can come up with other tests, which 
might uh, you know include non-human intelligence, animal intelligence, alien intelligence. But um, given how easy it is to perform and the test of time it passed so far, I respect it. And going back to what we were alluding to earlier, one of the problems is teaching a machine connotation. And if we say eliminate cancer, we don't want them to literally eliminate it. Right, so that's the common sense problem. We as people are trained for a long time to kind of understand body language, understand hidden meanings, uh, things which are not very easy to convey in source code. We see it and we communicate by email. A lot of things get get lost in a channel and people get offended, whereas in real life they would smile, they would understand it's a joke or sarcastic remark. So uh, there is some work in trying to teach computers those common sense facts, human values, either by observing humans or through hard-coding facts, sitting there for 20 years, just giving it all sorts of interesting facts. Um, the problem, of course, is uh, we don't agree on those facts. There is no common common sense. We have different cultural, religious understanding of what is ethical, what is normal, so that's still an open problem. But... Most all of us have a fairly decent grasp of natural language. Well, think about all the ambiguous situations you've been in your life, based on someone saying something and you misinterpreting it from simple things like, let's meet at 9 o'clock, and you have no idea if it's a.m. or p.m. to more impactful situations. But then again... If they say, let's go to the bar at 9 o'clock, you can assume that it's not 9 a.m. This is based on your friend selection. <laughs> well, this, as an American, yes. Russian here, so. <laughs> I didn't want to say that, yes. and I didn't. Common knowledge. <laughs> Fair enough. But then you also know the person you're speaking to. Right, so, so given this uh, behavioral profiling I've been doing initially is kind of what the problem is. We just want to do it on a global scale, not so much individual common sense, but more of a humanities common sense. So it's very connected subdomain. Which means by aggregating enough data about a person, their nationality, their preferences in books and music, you can figure out if they mean they're going to get drunk at 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. Right, and also the assumption we can make is that given enough intelligence and resources, the common sense desires of different people might converge. If we all were smart enough, equally educated, had the same facts, we might desire to get drunk at the same time. So that's one possible solution, is to see if at some point there is agreement. Perfect decision-makers with same fact base should agree. Optimal inebriation, I can't object to that. Now, data mining is a thorny, ethical question, and I imagine you've thought about it quite a bit. So, there are some issues with it. Uh, obviously, it depends on the type of data you're data mining. Uh, combining data sets may produce some 
undesirable side effects if you have a system which eventually makes some sort of a decision, maybe credit worthiness or something like that. You want to make sure it's not discovering hidden patterns which would be illegal to exploit, you know, racial issues, things of that nature. So there are some problems with that, yeah. But there are also enormous benefits. Well, obviously, that's why it's such a hot area. Everyone's into big data right now, and nobody knows what big is big enough or too big, but... Well, by that I mean not just benefits to massive corporations, but also to individuals. Well, of course. Uh, again, healthcare data provides a lot of answers to what might be individual problems. We cannot diagnose you as a person, but if I have access to thousands, if not millions, of records, their DNA, we can definitely help you better. Right, and if a particular locale sees a higher rate of esophageal cancer than another, we might want to explore that in a little more detail. Right, and all of it is somehow connected, so you can data mine, you know, global warming data and discover health benefits from it, so a lot of interesting connections we didn't think about before, but which actually are very strong. Now, I see a Bitcoin sticker behind your head. I have a Bitcoin sticker, yes. You are an investigative journalist. Yes, I'm moving up in the world. <laughs> you know, I Well, I was going to ask if potentially you could see some sort of synergy between these technologies and decentralized software. Well, it's quite possible that uh, the intelligence uh, will not emerge as a result of someone programming it straight up as a design in a single box. Something like Internet can slowly become more and more intelligent and uh, independent. And, of course, money you can program would be a good platform to base it on. So. Also, with respect to all those uh, potentially questionable bots, hacking bots and systems, that's probably the way to acquire resources, accumulate them, buy additional computational power, and so on. on a, so on a blockchain, potentially numerous humans and pieces of software could be collaborating with one another in some way, shape, or form. Something akin to, say, the Good Judgment Project. Yeah, absolutely. I see a lot of potential for it. I mean, we didn't do a lot of work on cryptocurrencies, but we started looking at uh, some possible ways to utilize it in security research. So one interesting aspect is the censorship problem. Because everyone has a copy of a blockchain, you can now publish anything you want in a way where no one can edit it, delete it, it stays there permanently. Yeah. That's something we've never seen before in the history of humankind, so that's very powerful. And we've seen, based on social media, that if people are given a choice or feel like they're acting on their own volition, they're willing to give away quite a bit of data about themselves. Facebook. <laughs> that's what we do. We sit there and feed it private information, which of course changes what it means to have private information. It used to be that your lunch selection and location were considered private. Now it's assumed I'm tracking you at all times. 
Um, I, I kind of want to know what's going to happen once we have better mind reading, brain reading scanners, where once I see just how perverted everyone else is, the whole concept of privacy just disappears because I'm not the weirdest guy anymore. It probably, the truth is, a more open society would probably benefit everyone. We'll find out. Uh, yes, we most certainly will. But the transparency shows that uh, there are no golden idols, or maybe there are, but we just have to accept these differences between people. All right. Uh, I think one thing you can assume, if you are thinking something, that is probably a lot of other people who are going through the same process. So that's one way to kind of feel okay about the whole thing. And that's how many businesses are born. <laughs> that's this is strange, but I haven't heard of anyone cashing in on it. Right. But there must be a market. Absolutely. Hopefully a legal one. Uh, <laughs> hopefully. Oh, this is very fertile ground. And it's something that I have discussed with a couple guests in the past, although not at any great length. In your book, Utility Function, Security, and Artificially Intelligent Agents. And you use the term wirehead. Right, so that goes back to psychology research. Uh, they did some experiments essentially on brains. They started with rats, and I think at some point they moved on to humans where they found locations in the brain. If you insert electrodes in that location and stimulate it, you get a very, very, very pleasant experience, better than pretty much anything that Red ever experienced. So after a while, they allowed him to self-stimulate. They gave him a button, you press the button, you get that nice buzzy light. And um, basically they noticed that the rats uh, stopped caring about everything else. They didn't care about food, sex, rest. All they wanted to do was press the button until they died. And there is some indication that certain types of AI, certain designs which are reward maximizers might fall into that trap as well. We might see it, we already see it with some people, drug addiction and things like that. But this is... And it seems very important to creating a brain, an artificial brain, because what drives the system to do things in a semi-human manner? Right. It also creates a safety issue, potentially. So if you have external reward given from a human, from a designer, programmer of a system, is the system better off hijacking that reward channel and getting reward directly or still waiting for the designer to decide to provide it? What is more optimal? I imagine setting some kind of criteria for its release of virtual dopamine. All right, but you can always find a loophole in any such criteria. That's what we people are very good at. Whatever it's loopholes in tax law or anything else, we'll always find a way to maximize it without doing any real work. Uh, the basis of many science fiction pieces, the loophole. Yes, as well as a lot of business world, academia, and... Uh, but presumably you could design some sort of reward system that is a little more airtight than our own, which, of course, evolved haphazardly. So, 
Hopefully we can, but uh, it's not a trivial matter. That's what I'm trying to suggest. Uh, as more complicated rules added to the system, it may be possible to exploit interaction with those rules. Also, you can impact sensors of the system. Instead of uh, you know changing the rules, you can change what the system believes the state of the world is. I'm very glad you said that because I have talked to a couple AGI experts in the past, and they seem to pass it off as a fairly trivial problem. We haven't solved it as people, so I don't know if it's easier to solve with more intelligent systems. It seems to be hard to solve even at primitive level of human brain. I I was extremely skeptical, and I'm glad you agree with me on this one. But is it really ideal to approximate human emotions in an AI system? Is it necessary? Well, it's not maybe even emotions. It's uh, something more fundamental, just general utility. That's what reward is. We're not talking about the system being upset or happy. It just it wants to get more utility out of it. Right, and we don't mean that genes are selfish, but we. Call them that anyway. Right, right. But there is also research on creating emotions in machines. People feel it would be good to have emotional computers. So that's another whole area of possible trouble.、Mm, that sounds like a massive can of worms to me. It is. And you outline a couple different problems, or. I should say a few different sections. There's, of course, direct stimulation, maximizing reward to the point of resource overconsumption, killing humans to protect reward channel, ontological crises. Ah, that's a wonderful word and one you don't really find too often outside of philosophy, although it's also gaining prominence. I mean, it's still in computer science. You see it here and there. It is fantastic, though. Greek roots. If you had to make this ideal agent, I, I suppose the question would be, what would be the general principles you would follow? In terms of、uh, values for it, ethics. In terms of design, what are you asking? We could go with either.、Uh, more in optimizing utility and the way it. Perceives utility.、Um, it's not even obvious that utility maximizing agents have a way to go for doing something like that. It may be actually a bad design to to create an agent with that type of structure. We might be better off with something more human brain like based, where you don't have a very specific、uh, utility score, more distributed.、Uh, Society of agents and desires, which kind of cancel out and have a wisdom of crowds enough not to be on drugs all the time. Then, in a sense, Kant is vindicated, <laughs> isn't he? We don't want a purely benthamite machine. Again, all of those are completely open problems. I don't have a solution to any of them, and then I don't think anyone else does. So that's what makes、of、it、course. so interesting. Right, and I don't think anyone listening to this right now believes either one of us is trying to solve all of the world's problems. We're simply spitting shit.
as it were. Attempt to solve some of the problems. Uh, <laughs> how successful that may be is a different issue.